the sacred feminine didn't just fall out of style. Mm-hmm. It was violently erased mm-hmm. on purpose. Mm-hmm. And when we know that, something really awakens in us yeah. that just decides that we're going to do it differently. Welcome to Why Isn't Everyone Doing This? I'm Emily Fletcher, and I believe that bliss is your birthright. That's why I'm calling on my world-class network to uncover the most potent, spine-tingling, even taboo healing modalities, all so you can reclaim your bliss. Let's do this. The first time I met today's guest in person, I took a train three hours to her house to spend the night in her temple while she and her children made me dinner on my birthday. That is when you know that someone is ready to be your friend. I'm so excited for you to learn from the brilliant, the very unique Sarah Jenks. Now, not only is she a priestess, she is also the mother of three humans and a woman who has struggled with body image, lack of direction, and knows what it feels like to feel overwhelmed, frumpy, and exhausted. Now, through her own transformation and years of studying the sacred feminine, she has been guiding thousands of women for over 10 years through the process of remembering their brilliance and their unique mission in this lifetime. I am so excited for you to dive into this episode because you're going to see what's possible when we start to build bridges between the seen and the unseen worlds. If you've been curious what a priestess even is, then you are in luck because Sarah is going to share how we can bring more divinity, more ritual, more ceremony to our everyday lives, to our families, and to our homes. And I highly recommend joining me and Sarah at zivameditation.com slash why this because Sarah offered us a free masterclass on how to do a ceremony called What's Next For Me. So enjoy, and I'm excited to hear what you think. I am so delighted to share with you the wisdom, the power, and the magic of the one and only Sarah Jenks. One of the most beautiful concepts from the Vedas is the idea that bliss is your birthright. 24 hour a day bliss is your birthright and anything standing in the way of that is stress. Now I'm curious what you think might happen if a whole group of people who all believe that bliss is our birthright came together to meditate, to breathe, to pray, and to put our attention on that which we want to grow. Well, good news, you're about to find out. I have a very special invitation for you to join me for our next live bliss activation. Now, this is totally free. I do it about once a month because teaching live is my most favorite thing, getting to connect to you, answering your questions, and meditating with a big group of amazing people around the world is my highest delight. So all you have to do to join me live for free is go to zivameditation.com slash activate. That is Z-I-V-A meditation.com slash activate. Activate. Join me and amazing like-minded people from around the world to activate the bliss that is your birthright. Thanks, Emily. Wow. I'm so happy to be here with you. I'm so curious as to how our flavors are going to weave together Mm -hmm. and how spirit and goddess is going to use us today. I'm so excited. And I loved when I asked you that question, because this is this is my favorite thing to ask. Like, when did you find something that's so good that you really genuinely honestly asked yourself the question, why isn't everyone doing this? Yeah. And your answer was ceremony. Ceremony. Why isn't everyone doing ceremony? So before we even like get into that, which that's gonna be our, our conversation, because I, you know, I love me a good ceremony. <laughs> I, anything I can turn into a ceremony, I will. <laughs> It's the only way to live. I want people to understand a little bit about who you are Mm -hmm. and where you come from. So you are a high priestess. You are an ordained high priestess. I don't know if I'm a high priestess. Okay. But I am an ordained priestess. Okay. I think in about 10 to 20 years 
for me personally, I will like reach the level of coherence that I believe it takes to like, you know, hold that title. Well, can you tell us what a priestess is yeah. and what's the difference between a priestess and a high priestess? Yeah, that feels absolutely. like a good place to start. Yeah, it's mm-hmm. so good. So an or- a priestess is a person who stands at the thresholds between the divine and the earthly plane, between the unseen world and the seen world. And we are the people who go back and forth between the veils. And we all hold different roles. There are priestesses that do that in birth. There are priestesses that do that in death. I have found my place in people really discovering the divine for the first time Mm -hmm. or needing a place to come to have an experience of the divine. And I have been studying the specific lineage of how to open the veils for people to experience in a sacred ceremony for about 10 years now. Wow. And I've worked with this amazing woman, Elaine Kalila Dowdy in the 13 Moon Mystery School. And she has really held me to the fire of what it means to walk as a priestess. And so much of the work in my ordination was not only learning the skills that it took to hold a sacred feminine ceremony that we'll talk about, but also am I in, am I in integrity with the work and really in walking as love? Mm. So a lot of the work we did was cleaning up my wounds Mm. and my patterns and my behaviors and the ways that I wasn't in integrity and in alignment with the path that I have chosen to, you know, hold a pillar of. Golly. It's like, man, couldn't we all just like wear some pretty robes and put on a crown and like call ourselves priestesses, but just still be out of integrity? It's it's just like (laughs) so the opposite of that. And one of my wounds is thinking that it needs to look a certain way in order, thinking that I need to look a certain way in order to be accepted by people. Like what? Like what? What does that just mean? Just like perfect and pulled together and palatable and just like the girl next door. And the truth is, is that I'm a wild, messy, wise woman. And it's not about what it looks like. It's about how it feels. Yeah. And how you make other people feel. Yeah. And how yeah. – and we can – I mean, I can go into a whole tangent about this, but, you know, the material world is so important. And of course, like, I love it. But if the material is void of the sacred, then it's just useless. It's like a corpse. It's like a corpse. Yeah. It's like, oh, it's here on the 3D, but there's nothing animating it. So my work as a priestess is how do we bring the divine into our everyday life? How do we bring the sacred into all of these places that it used to exist, that mm-hmm. it's been erased. And and when we do that, we really remember who we are. I am so excited for this conversation. You know, I just got back from Greece. I was on a full priestess it. pilgrimage. Um, but before we do that, I want to um, just read a little bit of your bio, which I never mm-hmm. do. I never read anyone's bio, but yours is so good. And oh, I feel like people you. will really resonate with this. And I really resonate with this. Mm-hmm. So I love it. You said, I spent years blindly following the rules of success without ever considering if I was happy. I mean, how many people, how many of you listening have blindly been following someone else's rules without ever asking, is this my rule? Do I believe in this? Am I happy? 
You said, I sidelined my mental health and emotional needs to support the dreams of my husband. I prioritize making money over being on purpose. How many people have done that? I almost gave up on all my dreams when my kids were born. I see this happen again and again. Yeah. I did what I was quote unquote supposed to. How many of us are being good boys and good girls out there mm -hmm. without complaining because I believe that wanting more was selfish as if somehow our desires are not divinely inspired. Mm -hmm. I believed I should just stop complaining and be happy with what I have until I realized an important truth. Women are here to do more than support other people. You were born to be the star of your own life, not the stage crew for everyone else. And that to me, like to be the star of your own life takes a level of audacity. Mm -hmm. It takes a level of confidence that does not come from ego. It takes yeah. a level of confidence that comes from really knowing that we are divinity incarnate mm -hmm. in the 3D. Mm -hmm. And if I am God, then so are you. Yeah. So there's nothing really arrogant about it. It's just a remembering. Exactly. And so first of all, how, what would how would you define divine? Oh, this is good. This is a great question. So to me, divine is, there's, I mean, gosh, I could talk for hours about it. The place I want to start is around the soul. I believe that we have a soul that has incarnated over and over and over again. And our soul comes to every lifetime with a mission not only a mission to improve this planet, but through that mission, we are evolving as a soul. Hmm. And I believe that there is a greater power and that is always wanting us to win and hmm. to grow. And the more that we connect with the divine in us, the more this greater power all around us, this unseen world communicates with us. So I see it now where I have a certain thought, the wind will respond mm. and I will ask for signs and certain birds will land on you know, my doorstep. Or I will, like the time that we met, I was looking at your thing on Instagram. And I just felt this connection to you. This is before we ended up in the same mastermind. And it was just this familiarity and this feeling like I knew you and I couldn't explain it. And it's not something that was based in reality. And then a week later, I get on our mastermind call and there's your face. And I just said, oh, of course, because I was I'm plugged in to the unseen language around us, which means that I'm having future memories. I'm feeling people's energy. We all can do this mm -hmm. if we practice. Yeah. And what I loved about when you reached out to me for the first time one-on-one, -on -one, you said, I just got quiet and I asked, what do I need to know? And the goddess told you to call me and to hang out. And it, I was so grateful for that because I'm like, oh, she's also plugged in. Yeah. And... Anytime you get goosebumps, anytime you have this um, synchronicity, to me, that's the divine. Mm. What a beautiful explanation oh. for the divine. I love it. I love it. And it's like, to me, it's like listening. It's like yeah. that frequency is all around. There's postcards coming in all the time, but are, are you available yeah. to receive it's them? It's just another language. And mm. I think when we were children, we could all hear it. And I think up until we're probably like, 
you know, maybe four or five, we just, we speak the language like it's our first language. Mm -hmm. And then we get up to, you know, seven or eight and we can feel it, but we don't know what it is. And we're confused about why the adults around us can't hear it also. And then when we don't see people using this unseen language, then we forget. And, but I think a lot of us are raising a generation of children who are never going to forget, which I'm really excited about. And so many people who are now adults are remembering that we actually do have access to this unseen language. And not only do we have access, but we remember how to speak it. Mm. It does feel like we're in the middle of this great remembrance. Yeah. Certainly in our circles, we're Mm -hmm. fortunate enough to be surrounded by Mm -hmm. people who are doing the work to remember. And I want to really celebrate and spend a lot of time talking on the way that you raise your children and the Mm. way that you create a holy family. But I want to tell you one story. My friend who was a coach, she was working with a couple and they had a daughter who was around five or six. And I think I told you the story of my birthday, but it's worth repeating. And they were pregnant with a baby. The baby shows up and the older sister is not having it. She's very <laughs> jealous. She is not about this baby. Mm-hmm. She's even being like kind of like mean and sometimes mm-hmm. violent to the baby. Mm-hmm. So they could not leave her alone mm-hmm. with the baby. And then finally she went on a campaign. She's like, mom, dad, I need to spend some time alone with my little brother. And they were like, how about no? <laughs> how about we're not going to do that? <laughs> yeah. And then she, I guess after a few weeks, a few months, she made a compelling argument of why she needed alone time with okay. her little brother. And they were like, oh. So they kept the baby monitor on. Okay. They're listening in the other room. But she walks into the room. The baby's in the crib. And she looks over the ba- at the bed and she's like, hi, I'm your big sister. I wanted to talk to you alone because I was wondering if you could teach me about God because I'm starting to forget. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, like, my God. Every time I tell that story, full body goosebumps. Oh. It makes me cry yes. because it just speaks to that thing, that that thing in us that is desperate to remember, Mm -hmm. but that we actually interestingly came here to forget. It's the great game of hide and seek. I know. It's so true. We came here both to forget and and to remember remember Mm -hmm. because it's fun. Like my son's five right now and he loves hide and seek. It's his favorite. Totally. And so it's like, how do we remember like in the darkness, in the isolation, in the depth that actually that's part of the divine game as well. Exactly. That the one actually became two for the joy Mm. of becoming one again. It's a beautiful way to put it, Emily. Thanks. I love that. Sweet friend, if you are loving this conversation and would like to dive deeper into these powerful modalities, I want to invite you to join me at zivameditation.com slash why this. Now there you're going to find free bonus content that we simply could not fit inside of the episodes. I'm talking mini masterclasses with our amazing guests like Aubrey Marcus, Layla Martin, Blue, Vailana, and myself. So come experience the tools that we reveal in the podcast for yourself. Simply head to zivameditation.com slash why this. So I want to just understand like Sarah Jenks, the human, before we go into Sarah Jenks, the priestess. Because like, did you, at five years old, were you like, I'm going to be a priestess? I'm going to grow up and run ceremonies? Okay, maybe at five. Okay, but how about 16? No. (laughs) So I remember when I was a little girl, I used to draw blueprints of pyramids like Egyptian pyramids. I would I remember spreading out all these pieces of paper and I would draw the pyramid and all of the underground tunnels underneath the pyramids. I mean, and like the queens wild. At what age? So probably like 4 or 5. Wow. And and there were always mice. I would draw mice as the little Egyptians that lived in the pyramids. So, I had a propensity 
for it. Mm-hmm. And then I... Speaking of, we just pulled an Isis card. We have the Isis yeah. Oracle deck here. Next level. Isis being Egyptian goddess of sex and magic yeah. and fertility mm-hmm. and motherhood. Mm-hmm. Okay, great. So, and I was obsessed with books about Egypt, you know, in my tweens and teens and always wanting to read about that. But I... Fun side note, when I was in middle school, when I was in sixth grade, I took Egyptology. And then by seventh grade, they were having me teach the sixth graders about Egypt. Oh, my God. And I was like, of course. I just thought that was normal. And I was like, oh, that's not normal. I don't think. Okay, that's amazing. I love that. Okay. That is so good. So I was a smart kid. And I realized that if I was just like smart full time, I would get a lot of praise. Mm. And and also I love to learn. I love to read. I'd love to I love to do well in school. I really loved the academic portion of school and I also just loved being with everybody. I loved my classmates. I loved being in the whole mix. It was just fun. I was in musical theater, all the things. Me too. Um Around the age of 10, like between 10 and 12, I started getting bullied because I started gaining a lot of weight. Now I think it was probably just like a mold toxicity, but at the Mm -hmm. time I thought there was something really wrong with me. I didn't have willpower. And so I very quickly became the scapegoat Mm -hmm. of a lot of really bad jokes growing up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of the bullying worked its way out towards the second half of high school, but this deep identity as being a fat girl really stuck with me and it was really hard. Mm -hmm. And in my junior year of high school, I met this amazing woman, Dr. Leslie Shore, and she was my first therapist. And she's the one who told me there's nothing wrong with you. And she gave me this really great book called, um, it's like goddess archetypes in every woman. Mm. And I think that's the title. I'll, I'll find it. But okay, we'll put it in the show notes. Goddess and, archetypes and yes, every yes. woman. And from there, that was like my first foray into personal development. But I I got into the number one liberal arts school in the country. Which is? And Williams College. Mm-hmm. And I went there. Thank you. I went there and I wanted to like do acapella and do musical theater. Turns out I was only a good singer compared to my very small high school. Couldn't cut it in this like also very small liberal arts school. So I very quickly started planning parties. And that's just where I found myself. So I was planning these massive themed gatherings at my school and just had the best time and made the most amazing friends who are now doing just the coolest stuff. I mean, head of the art mafia, you know, heads of banks, top lawyers in DC, on C-SPAN. I mean, just amazing humans. And when I graduated from college, I decided to be really out there and go into event planning where all my friends were going into banking. I don't think there was an event planner who graduated from Williams in like decades. And so I went in and I did all these, I worked the Martha Stewart Halloween party and I did the Robin Hood Foundation. And I met all these celebrities and it was so fun. And, but I slowly realized that I didn't want to just be behind a spreadsheet all day. And I ended up going into advertising and Dove Chocolate was my client. And when I started working in advertising, I was so miserable that I just, I kept eating and eating and eating and eating and I couldn't stop. And 
I was just asking myself, like, what is wrong with me? Why is it that I want to be thin so badly? I literally know everything there is to know about nutrition and I can't stop eating. And I just kept looking at food as an eating disorder. And what I realized was I was just so unhappy and food is my only source of pleasure, which people now know a lot about. But back then, this was news to me. So I went on a very committed search to figure out how to get happy. Mm -hmm. And when I actually started to look at what I wanted, all of a sudden I didn't need to eat so much anymore. And so I ended up quitting my job in advertising and starting a company called Live More, Way Less. And actually, first I did this company called Breathtaking Bride, where I helped brides lose weight for their wedding, which was super fun. And then I went on to launch Live More, Way Less, and that's when I really got into the personal development world. And I loved it. And I started a very successful company, and I was just, you know, in Martha Stewart Wedding Magazine front page of Huffington Post. Everything was going great. And then I got I got pregnant out of the blue. And I was married to my husband. We were planning on having babies eventually, but this was a surprise. And my husband was in his surgical residency. And I had a, a good, healthy pregnancy. And then our labor was so hard. And I got home with our baby after four days of labor. And then after 24 hours, Jonathan just disappeared. And he was in his third year in residency and he was working, you know, like 15 hour days and making less money than the cost of a nanny in San Francisco. And I went into this deep depression and survival mode and I started going to therapy and I, you know, walk into therapy. I worked with this amazing therapist for a couple months. And then one day I walked in and she had chairs on the floor and I could smell incense in the air. And there were pictures of these beautiful women on the walls. And I walked into the space and my entire body erupted in goosebumps. And I just started to cry. And, you know, this is, I'm, I'm in a polar shirt and pearls, like, weeping with just leftover incense from the night before. It was the most profound, visceral experience. So the ceremony was from the night before. Just it wasn't before. for you. No. Nope. She had held ceremony. She had held ceremony the night before. And I just looked at her and I said, what's, what's happening? What, what happened here? And she says, she looks at me and she goes, oh, I'll, I'll tell you when you're ready. <gasps> And oh, that's when I was like, I want in. I want in to this secret, sacred club. And I want to know all about this because it was the first time in years that I felt alive. Oh. And I started going to her ceremonies, which don't include any plant medicine. And I started to hear my soul. And the soul that I was hearing was really different than the voice that was has been in my head. Wait, you know? this feels important. The soul that you were hearing in ceremony felt very, very different, different than the voice in your head. Yes. Can you say more about that? Yeah, because I believe, and this is a big part of the work that I do, that we have a conditioned voice and that women have been brainwashed for centuries to think and operate a certain way. And we've become so intimate with our conditioning that we think it's who we are, but it's actually not. 
But don't you, couldn't you argue that for all genders? Or you think it's For been, sure, yes. But, but I why think, do you think more so for women? Well, women have been brainwashed to be a whole workforce to support men and to produce the next generation of workforce. So yes, I believe that men and women have been brainwashed, but women have a very specific thread of brainwashing that really has us be that much further away from the voice of our soul because we haven't had any mythology in our upbringing around the sacred feminine. We've only been exposed to the sacred masculine. And this has created a really huge hierarchy that is not natural in the way that our culture is set up. So I started going to ceremony and was waking up to who I am. Mm. And I found my power again. I found my confidence. And then I started getting these messages. I felt like the goddess was saying, Sarah, you aren't who you think you are. You aren't who you think you are. And I was like, well, I have this like pretty good weight loss company. And I have two kids now because I had two kids back to back. Marshall and Annabelle are 17 months apart. And, you know, I'm the primary breadwinner and I'm the primary parent. I'm like, there's no way I am closing this company. And I just kept hearing, you're meant to do this sacred work. You're meant to do the sacred work. I'm like, over my dead body. Over my dead body. Like, That's right. We will kill your like, ego. We will. <laughs> I, I am like a preppy girl from New England. There is no way I can show up on the internet and be like, Excuse me, everybody. I am actually a priestess. No, that was just <laughs> not, not going to happen. Not in the realm of possibility. And then, you know, what happens in any initiatory process, if you don't listen and fulfill the mission you came here to do, the goddess is going to F you up. And that's what started happening. Mm -hmm. My business started just plummeting. I started getting really sick. Motherhood became more and more difficult. My marriage started falling apart. And every time I got in ceremony, she would just say, all you got to do, babe, is follow your mission and it's all going to get better. And I was like, ah, fine, fine, <laughs> I'll do it. And I slowly started to work with my mentor who was my therapist. So Elaine Kalila was the person who had the ceremony the night before. We started working together. She started training me. And through the process of being trained, I came more and more into the knowing that this is what I'm here to do. But it's been a really long journey from, you know, my Christian traditional upbringing. So oh, there's so many things we could talk about, but I would love to I would love to go back to when you said we have not had models for the divine yeah. feminine. We've yeah. not had models for the sacred feminine. Because if you go into mostly any church or even like Buddhist temple, I've been studying the Vedas for 16 mm -hmm. years. Like look at the iconography. You have Jesus on the front. You have God represented as a man, which is mm -hmm. the, the hilarity of trying to mm -hmm. gender something as big as God is just Hilarious. really, really laughable. Yeah. Um, and then I went to visit the Dalai Lama. I went to Dharamshala and all around the perimeter of the room, it's all men. In I, when I do puja ceremony in the in my tradition, it's it's the holy tradition, and it's all men. Mm -hmm. 
And so this iconography really does matter because yeah. we cannot be something if we cannot see something. Yeah. And so can you say more about like what is the sacred feminine mm -hmm. and how would one go about discovering this iconography if they want if they identify as feminine yeah. or female yeah. and wanted to start to see a model of what that is that they can start to wake up the divinity inside of themselves. Yeah, and I think it's it's really important for everybody regardless of your gender, to yeah. have sacred feminine stories and um, visuals and myths in your life because mm -hmm. this is – what I believe is that this is what is going to bring the feminine and women back to their rightful place on this mm -hmm. planet mm -hmm. is bringing the sacred mythology back into our culture. So the first – pieces of art that archaeologists have found um, is the Venus of Willendorf, which is this tiny figurine that has this really voluptuous belly and these very voluptuous breasts. So we know through art that what humans were really obsessed with. And so all of the art from the Neolithic period are all these elderly, crone, voluptuous female deities. And where was that found, that, that statue or that, um, that The artifact? Venus of Willendorf was found, I think, somewhere in Eastern Europe, but I'm actually not sure. Well, we should so look I'm, that I'm up. asking because I just got back like, literally days ago. Yeah. My friend Layla and I, who, you know, we're yeah. in the same group together. We went on this priestess pilgrimage to Greece. And our last trip, we went back in time. We went, and I want to talk more about this. We went mm -hmm. Eleusis, mm -hmm. which was like the Eleusinian mysteries yep. where like the leaders of Greece were going and receiving plant medicine and initiations and facing death before they died from these priestesses. And then we went to Delphi where the oracles mm -hmm. were prophesizing mm -hmm. and again, changing yep. the course of history, yep. advising kings and military leaders. Yep. And then we went back even further in time to this ancient cave that they have been practicing goddess worship since the Neolithic period. Yeah. And when we walked in, the first thing that Layla said, she's like, look at that. It was just a rock formation. There's just stalactites and stalagmites. Yeah. So there's nothing built in there really, but it looked exactly like this bust of Venus de Milo. Like it, it, oh my God. it and so it's, I'm just wondering if there's a connection there. Yeah. We should look it up. Okay. Yeah. We should look it up. Right. And the first place they ever found a place of worship was shaped like a woman's body and you entered through her vagina and at a the cave right and at the at the spring equinox the sun shines straight through her vagina up to the crown of her head so we know from that and from the histories that's been saved and from the stories that have been passed down that for you know tens and hundreds of thousands of years that God was a woman and that we worshiped the female form, we worshiped like literally women's bodies as a direct emissary of the goddess. We were worshiped for our fertility, for our creativity, and we were held in regard and with respect. Well, it is the matrix point for the entire civilization. Exactly. For, for anyone to be birthed from the unmanifest right. into the yes. manifest, it must come through this We are the water slide portal. of the divine <laughs> into human form. Yes. And... And it's so, and, you know, and I love how you called out, you know, like the oracles of Delphi are a really great example where all over the world, the center of community were the priestesses, that at the center of every town, the center of every city was a temple. And, you know, in, in ancient Greece and ancient Egypt, these temples were 
you know, massive, huge, gorgeous pieces of architecture. And in some places they were caves and other places they were huts, but every single community, its center was the priestess. And just like you said, no one would go to war without consulting with the priestesses. No one would choose an heir to the throne without consulting with the priestesses. And a lot of times the priestesses were also the queens. So Cleopatra was a high priestess and was also the queen. Mm. And Queen Sheba was also a priestess and a queen. Mm. And so we see these threads also coming together where you know, church and state were not that separate. Mm -hmm. And when the sacred feminine was part of her everyday life, there, there were just, you know, centuries of peace because it was a culture of egalitarianism and working together and for the one. Mm -hmm. And what happened was in, in many little ways, the oppressive patriarchy started to take over because when you have egalitarian societies, no one person can be in power. And the people that were in power were actually in service to the collective. And that's very different. And you can see how if someone wanted to gain a lot of power and be able to manipulate large amounts of people that they would have to take away the sacred feminine because taking away the sacred feminine is the same thing as taking away egalitarian culture. And what? how do you define egalitarianism in this context? I mean, really everyone being in service to the one and men and women working together mm -hmm. in, in a non-hierarchical relationship. So this feels important to me because I think it's because most of us have been raised almost exclusively in a patriarchal society. Yep. We we don't really understand what a matriarchy would look like or an egalitarian right. society yep. would look like because all we can really see is like, oh, well, if women were in power, it would just be the reverse. Right. But it's not. It's not. Because so, in a matriarchy, it's non-hierarchical. Mm -hmm. And what they have studied through, you know, archaeology and history and going back and rereading a lot of the books, because when women go back and translate ancient texts, they get a very different translation than when men translate them. So it's so great that we're having more women in, you know, becoming archaeologists and really re-looking at history because it's just been really important for the discovery of, of what it meant to be a woman. And to, you know, really bring back all of these stories because the erasure was uh, like so close to being complete. Mm. And in a matriarchy, what this looks like is half of the CEOs are women. And but the and you we can talk about this on a global scale, but what I want to bring it down to is like just looking at if you are a woman <laughs> and you are married to a man, just looking at your marriage, do you really feel like you are in a non-hierarchical relationship? Because this is what I spend a lot of time on in my work is how do we see these wider, more mythical, generalized ideas playing out in just our marriages? Mm -hmm. So for me, what happened was I had a baby, I became a mother, and all of the sudden, I just decided one day that I should really work on like winding my business down so I could be a stay-at-home mom when Jonathan was done with residency. And I started creating this exit plan. And I was, 
But at the time, I was the primary breadwinner because Jonathan was in residency, but I was also 100% taking care of the house and 100% taking care of the kids. And Jonathan would come home in the worst mood, and I would just like try to be like Little Miss Sunshine and smooth things over and make sure everything was okay. And I am a highly educated feminist doing this. So I just had this moment where I was like, what is happening? It was like something abducted my body. And that's when I really started digging into the conditioning. And so, and what I brought it to, and I kept asking myself, were women always like this? And that's when I started really understanding priestess culture. And for me specifically, what I brought back with the motherhood issue is I went back to the burning times and I studied what was happening during the burning times in Europe. What What are the burning times? So the burning times is when the Catholic church came in after rewriting the Bible and decided that any person that was not going to be Christian could be tortured and killed. Any person, any gender. Any per- Well, that's what they said. But the truth is, is that they were targeting non-married women. And older women. And older women mm-hmm. who were widows. Mm-hmm. Because what was actually happening was that they were trying to aggregate power. And at that time when that was happening, there was this amazing two, sort of like a two- system culture where in the cities, Christianity had taken root, but there was this blending where the winter solstice became Christmas and, you know, spring equinox became Easter and, you know, there's all this blending. And a lot of people from the cities, they'd still go out to the countryside and they'd talk to the witches when they like had a stomach ache, they needed something. There was a thriving sacred feminine um, ecosystem that Mm -hmm. was happening during that time. And a lot of women owned land. And a lot of women had access to land and a lot of women were stewards of money. So what do you need? And so what was happening was not all these women were having babies. And if you want to create um, a new like economic revolution, you need to make sure that you have a really massive workforce that isn't going to question you. And the best way to have a workforce is to make sure that women are churning out babies and to make sure the men are not distracted. So there, that's where we had this blending of women who were sensual or distracting men because they were beautiful. So any woman could point to another beautiful woman and say she's a witch because she's turning her husband's head. Any widow was called a witch, mostly probably because she was just pissed and sort of a drag for the people who were trying to you know, snatch up all the land. And so the only women who were left were women who were married to men who were of childbearing years. And so what I believe and talk happened, about iconography. Like oh my you God. go into a Christian church, it's it's Mary, the mother. Right, exactly. Like only women are only portrayed in that role yep. as mother. Exactly. Um, and I'd love to talk about that too. Mm-hmm. Because for me, what happened was I looked at I'm like, oh, of course. So it's like the conditioning comes from all that trauma. And because, of course, in the next generations, the mothers are going to tell their kids, like, get married, have babies. It's the only way you're going to survive. And that was true for a very long time. And then at some point, it just gets passed down generation to generation, and we, we kind of lose the thread. And there's also, you know, all these really great studies about epigenetics, about how we inherit the trauma from our ancestors. And so I got... I had a baby, I became a mother, and I immediately wanted to, sorry, I keep hitting this, I immediately wanted to cut off all parts of myself. 
And, but when I looked back at the burning times and I understood the reason why they were doing that, and I saw that it was a tool that wiping away the sacred feminine was a tool of control and a tool of conditioning, I got so mad. And through that anger, I found myself again. Yeah. And it was such a blessing. And then I started going deeper where I started looking at Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene and really understanding who are these women? Because what I had been hearing at the time, because I wasn't necessarily paying attention, you know, for a while, Mary Magdalene was a prostitute and Mother Mary was just this like pious woman who never had sex. And then there was this announcement, you know, that the Pope decided that Mary Magdalene was a disciple again. And I'm like, okay. So I, I really started digging in. What I learned through that process is that both Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene were incredible priestesses that were both trained in the temples of Isis and in the temples of Dendara as anointing priestesses. And Mary Magdalene brought her anointing oils to Jesus when they met. And when, you know, Christ means the anointed one. So mm. Jesus isn't Jesus Christ. He, he is only Jesus Christ because he was anointed by wow. Mary Magdalene. Wow. And what I believe is that, because during this time, the rabbis, the Jewish rabbis of the time were doing this oppressive patriarchal dance in that area of the world. But all around them, you know, still in ancient Greece, still in Egypt, there were still sacred feminine um, priestesses at the center of these communities. And so you can imagine both, both Jesus and Mary Magdalene are going to Egypt and seeing all of these amazing, powerful women. But then they're going back home and the rabbis are telling them that women are evil, that women are dirty. That's when they started separating men and women from all of the worship. And I believe that Jesus and Mary Magdalene got together that they are two wings of the same bird, the masculine and the feminine Christ, and said, actually, it's men and women who are the conduits of the divine. And you don't have to go through a rabbi or a priest or a king in order to access, access the divine. You know, in the Bible, they translated one of the words of Jesus is, I am the way which a lot of people took as, oh, Jesus is the only gateway to God. But if you go back to the original text, it actually says, I am is the way. Uh, so just feel that I am is the way. I am is, is the, the way. way. And this is, and their teachings were really about how do you bring heaven down into earth yes. right now? Yes. And that we are all expressions of the divine in human form. And no one needs to go to a church. No one, I mean, we can if we want to, but you can experience God anywhere. Yes. And when we reclaim Mother Mary as a high priestess who did like who is a incredible sex magician and did in this amazing conscious conception practice and Mary Magdalene be, being a, the feminine Christ, we see ourselves differently. Yeah. All of a sudden I was able to look to Mary Magdalene to see that she's a mother and she has a huge ministry and she has this non-hierarchical relationship with Jesus. And that helped me look at how do I balance work and motherhood and how do I want to show up in my marriage? Mm. And I believe that when women learn the, the way that it's supposed to be, that 
we automatically change how we're acting mm-hmm. in in our inner world and in our inner lives. Wow. I just want to celebrate you so hard for the lifetime of work that you've done to research all of that and then to embody all oh, of that. Thank you. And truly, like, thank you for immediately, like, recognizing what was not yours, what was not your mm-hmm. voice, where conditioning had sort of come and take o- taken over your mm-hmm. body and your yeah. narrative and your life. And the bravery that it must have taken to be willing to forsake who you were, to step into who you were becoming. I know that it's scary, especially when your life is good. Well, yeah, that's the thing. And I really had to come to terms with my life looked good on the outside. Yeah. I was married to a physician. I had a successful business. I had two healthy kids. I had a very cute house in San Francisco. and But inside, I was totally miserable. Yeah. It maybe would have been a great life for somebody else, yeah. but it was not my life. And I felt like I was going to die yeah. when I started making changes. Yeah. Because if I was going to walk in to my awakened life, I couldn't guarantee that anyone was going to follow me. You know, I knew I could bring my kids with me, but I didn't know if Jonathan was going to support me. I didn't know if my parents were going to support me. I didn't know if my friends were going to support me. And because we have this, this epigenetic trauma based on where your lineage experienced the oppressive patriarchy coming into your life, you know, so for some people, that's the burning times. For some people, that's the inquisition with the Cathars. For some people, that's enslavement. For some people, that's genocide. And, but it's, it all happened at the same time. Mm. It's all one arm of the oppressive patriarchy that affected us in in varying, you know, in varying degrees. Not all work created equal. Mm-hmm. But for me, I had to name that, okay, even though I feel like I'm going to die, I'm just gonna be uncomfortable. There's a difference between feeling like I'm gonna die and making other people uncomfortable. And so I really was constantly looking at my conditioning, looking at the places that said, I can't go have the career that I want. I can't just go be a priestess and, you know, make a great living doing it. You know, what are my friends going to say? What are my parents going to say? It was it was terrifying. So what what does that mean? Like how does one go and be a priestess and yeah. how do you make a living being a priestess? Well, I'm basically making it up as I go along because right? they're like aren't that many of us. No. <laughs> <laughs> and I so for me When you are stepping into a role in society that is not common, we have to go inside. So I spent a lot of time sitting in ceremony and asking my soul, show me, show me what this looks like. What, what do I want to do? How do I want to bring my priestessing out into the world? And, you know, for me, as I mentioned, my role as a priestess is to stand at the threshold between the earthly plane and the divine. And for me, I love getting groups of women together in ceremony. It's my favorite thing. And I love waking women up to the divine and creating environments where they can do that. And what I'm trained to do is I'm trained to create a certain energetic field that when people come into it, they can automatically feel the separation between their not self and their essential self. Mm. And this is what I've been training for 10 years to be able to do that really bring in this certain frequency. It's sort of like how, you know, healers will get the chakras in line 
what I'm doing is I'm getting a whole group of people in line so that we can feel and access our soul voice instead of our personality. Mm. So I've created just like a handful of different ways to, to do that. Uh, and that's been so amazing. And my business, you know, my company is so much bigger than it was when I was a weight loss coach. Mm. And there, that doesn't mean that that doesn't have to be a marker of success. But for me, it was important for me to be an example for other women who need to support their families or who want to have certain certain financial success that they can be a priestess and be successful. Mm, yes. Any anything that becomes a portal to help us merge the 3D with the 5D, yeah. the human with the divine. Like I want to see this valued in society through music, yeah. through writing, through yes. dance, yes. through sacred sex, ceremony, mm -hmm. meditation, like anything that helps people to have a visceral experience of their own mm -hmm. divinity. Like this is really why we're here. It's the great game of hide and seek. Exactly. And it's, it's really why we incarnated. And so why would we not value that. Exactly. And yeah. it's so important to remember that the, you know, that role that you were just explaining, that was the most valued role in society for so long because mm -hmm. we knew that was it. Yeah. The only reason we're here is to remember that we're sacred. Remember that we're it. Yeah. And I have to say like something really did viscerally change in me just walking into Delphi and seeing yep. an entire stadium there, seeing an entire theater built around these these women, these mm -hmm. prophecies. Yeah. And then also in Eleusis to have like 40 minutes from Athens, mm -hmm. like the birthplace of Western civilization as mm -hmm. we know it, yep. that this is where people would go and they were only allowed to go once a year. The Eleusinian mysteries, no one knew exactly what was yeah. happening, so cool. but that to see that not only women being safe, right? Because like, let's just start there. Like, I oh, mean, that witchcraft is safe, that yeah. like that women accessing the divine is safe. Let's start there. Mm -hmm. But then to see a whole society and infrastructure built around, around it, that and it celebrated something in me. Right. Because that is, you know, the feminine sacred arts were as common as being a teacher or a lawyer or a doctor. And women were the people who were tasked with becoming masterful at those things. So when we go into places like that, it's a grief of our mm. life force and our like reason for being here. Because you know, it's like when you love your work, you would be so sad if you couldn't do it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's like a skier losing her legs. And that's what it's been like for women to have these sacred technologies taken away from us in such a violent way. And and then shamed and taught that they are bad, bad. or wrong or evil exactly. or dangerous. And so what I found happened with me as a child, and I'm sure a lot of people can relate to this, is, you know, they emerged in me. You know, they emerged. Your powers? In, yes. You know, once, you know, they usually emerge around seven and they emerge again when we get our, you know, our period for the first time, when we make love for the first time, when we start to grow, like all of a sudden they come out from within. And because of our brainwashing, we then go, am I evil? Mm -hmm. Does this mean that I'm dirty, that I'm wrong, that I feel sensually alive, that I am interested in tarot cards, that I want to go sit in a ceremony? 
you know, that's part that of- That I care about the planet, that, that I it, feel yes, connected to nature. Exactly. So we either think we're crazy or we're evil or we're dirty. Mm-hmm. And that just goes to show that the conditioning has been very thorough yeah. and has gotten to us. And what I want every person to to know is that you aren't who you think you are. And that is not your voice. That is a voice that was put inside of you. And it's so important to just like uproot that shit. Yes. Yeah. So that you can discover what is your voice. Right. Like how does divine mm-hmm. frequency, how does cosmic intelligence mm-hmm. use your unique mm-hmm. infrastructure of gifts, your nervous system, yeah. your lineage, your ancestry? Mm-hmm. How does the divine want to use that specific puzzle? Because yep. yours is unique. Exactly. Um, something that, you know, like Layla said when we were in Greece, she's like, you know, you don't have to burn witches anymore if you just teach them how to hate themselves. Exactly. And that really feels like what has happened, this mm-hmm. this internalized patriarchy, this internalized witch wound, yep. this internalized shame from both the exogenous medicines, like, you know, plant medicine, and mm-hmm. also the internal medicines, like yeah. sacred sexuality, ecstatic frequencies. Mm-hmm. I would love to, to share, you said earlier, you know, like, plant medicine, medicine is not my area of expertise. And I think so many people conflate ceremony Mm -hmm. in this day and age with medicine work. And so I'd love for you to give us a window into how do you have ceremony? How do you create sacred containers without using plant medicine? Oh, it's so great. It's Mm -hmm. so great. And I think plant medicine is great. Mm -hmm. I'm just, um, I'm not, I'm not a priestess of it. Great. You know, and I love being able to offer people an alternative who don't want to do plant medicine because you really do feel like you're on mushrooms when you're in ceremony with me. It's Mm. very cool. People are like, what just happened? (laughs) So there's there's a few sacred technologies that I'm doing that are a little bit hard to explain, but the the pieces that I will are I set up a sacred gate for all of my ceremonies, which means that I am embodying an archetype of a different face of the goddess. And people need to pass through my gate, meaning they have to come stand in front of me and drop into an open-eyed meditation with me. And I'm going to ask them a question. And I'm holding, that's literally the veil between the earthly plane and the divine, which I've been trained to hold as an energetic frequency in my body. And what happens nine times out of 10 is someone comes and stands in front of me and I'm just meeting them with my full presence and the tears just come yeah. because they've never been met with so much love. Mm. And then I ask them an initiatory question and it brings up a lot. And then they come and they sit in a ceremonial circle. I also do these live stream online. And what's so great is that I've been really practicing how do we hold an energetic circle container in living rooms all over the world. Yeah. And it's really fun when we're all meeting together and we have, um, and a lot of times the Holy Woman members, Holy Woman's name of my community will come together. So there's, you know, there's three to five women in person and mm. on the live stream. And this is how it used to be. Right. Mm-hmm. It was just small gatherings of people in living rooms and in bedrooms and in backyards. And so we come into this frequency and, you know, we drop in like you would in any normal frequency. But then we do this really cool thing where we do an open eyed meditation with each other. And it's literally like taking off on a spaceship and people start to see things. And like with their eyes that have never seen anything before. And that was my experience in ceremony because. 
I always wanted magic to be real. And I, w- I was always super jealous of psychics and people who could just like see stuff like, oh, look, your grandmother's behind your shoulder. Like that wasn't what my body did for me. But when I was in ceremony, I could start to see things. Mm. And people who've never been in ceremony before, who are not spiritual at all, will come in and they just say, that was so wild. I literally saw a hawk in the middle of the circle. And then what's so cool is all these signs and symbols, people share what they're seeing. And then of course, it's all the signs and symbols of the sermon or the theme that I have planned for that ceremony Mm. because we're just, we're time bending Mm -hmm. and we're all, when you're, when you're in a container that prioritizes the unseen world, we communicate in a different way. And what happens through that is then women realize that magic is real and they start to hear their soul and they start to have their own remembrance of who they are and they can feel the thread that's been there lifetime after lifetime after lifetime and they wake up and to then hear what women do after ceremony is so amazing yeah. i mean what do you mean like how their lives change how as their a lives change yeah because, yeah can you give us a window into well, that what's also cool is that you know so many women struggle with fear and confidence. So when I'm sitting at the gate, I hear I hear the same things over again. You know, what are you laying down before you come in? Fear, 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 fear. And it's always fear of being too much, fear of my partner leaving me, um, fear of failure. And because that's the conditioning that has taught women that we're just like useless, worthless, untalented people. But when you come into ceremony and you hear your soul you're like, I'm a freaking badass. I can go do whatever the F I want. And so then they do. And it's just so great. You know, I have this one client who loved to cook and she just had this story that she couldn't make great money as a caterer. And she had no plan and she just put into the center of circle. I was actually just talking to her today. And she said, I want to make $250,000. It was like 4X her salary by the end of the year. She did it in two months. And then she came back to another circle and she was like, you know, I want to make a million dollars, six months, you know? And so now, and she keeps coming back and there's next layers. And she says, she's never been so happy. She's never been so expressed. You know, she's doing her soul's work in the world and she's paving the way Mm. for women who are like priestesses of food to make an amazing living doing it. Um, you know, so many marriages have shifted. I've had so many women who couldn't get pregnant for years manifest a baby, you know, just like all those amazing things. Mm. And like, I'm not doing that much. You know, I'm just like sitting there holding the frequency and like light a few candles and have a dance party, you know, <laughs> but because it's, and I used to be a coach, you know, so I, I come from the place of like, I'm coaching someone to change their mindset and, I found that when I was doing that, people were very slow to change. And it would take like six months of coaching every week and all of that. Now they can come into a ceremony one time and just rearrange their cellular makeup. And it's just very effective. Wow. It's very effective. Yeah. I always operate on the belief that, you know, we can heal things on the spiritual plane and it's faster and easier and cheaper. And if oh my we God. don't learn it there, then it shows up on the psychological plane, a little bit more expensive, a little bit slower. Like yeah. you pay your therapist $250 yeah. a week for decades. For sure. Yep. And then if you don't learn it there, it gets a lot slower and a lot more expensive because then we have to heal it on the physical, physical. plane. We've got to cut it out as yeah. cancer. And so this makes sense that the transformations would be faster. Yeah. They would be easier yeah. because you're tapping into the realm of infinite possibility. Exactly. 
Wow. And you're doing it with this collective container and antenna mm -hmm. that you've built, which there's so much magic there. And like, of yeah. course, we're friends. My, you know, I have a thing called evidence of magic. I know. And you're like, people are coming. Magic is real. Yeah. And it's so, it's not, what becomes amazing is that we manage to forget. You know, it's like once you remember and once you start to feel yeah. this, yeah. this waking up, this ancestral mm -hmm. remembrance mm -hmm. in your cells, what becomes amazing is not that you believe in magic, but that you manage to forget. Right. Well, I think the thing that I always bring women back to over and over again is that the sacred feminine didn't just fall out of style. Mm -hmm. It was violently erased mm -hmm. on purpose. Mm -hmm. And when we know that, something really awakens in us yeah. that just decides that we're going to do it differently. Yeah. And I think that piece is so important because I didn't know that for so long. Yeah. I just thought like, yeah, like witches are weird. Of course we don't like go to an oracle of Delphi anymore. But now I'm like, no, no. That is exactly what needs to be happening. Yeah. All the time. Yep. Because it is really important wisdom and knowledge that we need to have in our culture. And urgent. Like it was it's in urgent. the indigenous cultures, it was like the women who would say enough. We have enough meat for the winter, no more exactly. hunting. Exactly. Exactly. Enough. Like yes. and, and we are in a state in our planet right now where we have to say enough. 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 The mm -hmm. seven hottest days in recorded human history this week. Enough. And so we really, the, the urgency of the rising of the divine feminine mm -hmm. to to rebalance this and yeah. to reconnect us with the planet feels so pressing. And just to, to speak to the, the the violence of that takeover, mm -hmm. having like literally just come from Greece in, in all, well, not in Delphi because it's its own whole land. You have to drive there to get there. It's yeah. its own destination. But in Eleusis and in the Neolithic caves in Crete, which is a matriarchal society, mm -hmm. the oldest palace in Europe, and it was a queendom. <laughs> and um, so when Eleusis, <laughs> I was actually wearing this dress. And there's two parts to this story. But one, you know, Layla and I went and we got into this cave, this Plutonian cave where you go and you die before you die, yeah. um, oh God, so which bad. is you're like literally facing death, which yeah. changes the way that you live. Yeah. And then we walked up this path and there was a um, like a little tiny amphitheater on the side. And, you know, I love a stage. You can take the girl out of Broadway. You cannot take the yeah. Broadway out of the girl. And I was like, Layla, can you take my photo here? Because, you know, my, it was like I have a stadium kink because yeah. I'm really trying to get these oh, 80,000 people I know. So good. in the stadium. And so I'm in there and I'm just standing still, but I'm starting to tap into spirit, starting to tap into goddess, just letting her move my body. Mm -hmm. And and eventually it starts to get like pretty awesome in my estimation. You know, my body's yeah. just really moving. Yeah. And we had the entire place to ourselves. There's no other tourists there. There's just one security guard. And he's been tasked with watching us for like, we're there for like eight hours. And he didn't, he was sort of pretending like he wasn't watching us. But when I started dancing, I wasn't near any gates. I wasn't in, in any danger. I wasn't touching anything that I wasn't supposed to be touching. I was just standing still, letting the goddess move through my body. And eventually he starts like, like blowing his whistle yeah. so loud. Yeah. Because he could feel it. Like he yeah, could feel, feel the magic coming through my body. Yeah. And he starts blowing the whistle. And I just start laughing. I mean, I'm on mushrooms. Maybe Emily, I'm not on mushrooms, would have been like afraid, like, oh no, I did something wrong. I'm yeah. being a bad girl. I'm being too expressed. Yeah. I'm a slut. I would have maybe slut right. myself. But on mushrooms, I just started laughing like at the hilarity of the tininess of his little whistle. And and then I was like taking, I was like proud of the fact that I got a whistle. And I was just like, yes, it was so hot that it needed to have a whistle. Oh my blow. God, that is so good. <laughs> so I had a similar experience. Mm. 
where when I was in Glastonbury, England, which is on where the Isle of Avalon was, which was really where my priestess lineage originated. Mm. And we were in the, like the, you know, we were in the, um, the Abbey, which was where, which is where King Arthur is buried. And there's this ruin of an old church in the Abbey. And we, I think they say King Arthur's tomb is, you know, in the front of the Abbey. I don't really remember. And I was there with all my priestess sisters and I just had this call to go up into the balcony. And I stood at the balcony and I looked at all my priestess sisters below me and I just started singing. And they all just felt the they felt the frequency. And so they stopped what they were doing and they, they formed a circle and they just stood and they held space. And what I was doing was I was calling the sacred feminine back into the Christian church. And in that moment, when I felt the energy like come in through my body, there was that security guard with the whistle. And he was like, oh, excuse me, you can't uh, do ritual here. I'm like, I'm just singing a song. He's like, you're not allowed to sing. It's like, I'm not allowed to sing in church. And he was like, you have to leave. It's amazing, it isn't is it? It is wild. But it was and the most incredible message from the goddess because I was so clear. Like, you can stop me from singing in this church ruin, but you there's no way in hell the masculine can stop all the women who are coming in That's to right. bring the sacred feminine back that is right. onto this planet. That is right. Yeah. And it's so funny how like these guards, like you know, I've been to Egypt before and some of my friends just went to Egypt and anything that even resembled meditation, anything yeah. resembled sex magic just immediately yeah. got shut, shut down. down. And it's like you could feel like the potency of it, especially in these sacred places. Yeah. It's like they know the potency yeah. and the power of it. So they just shut it down immediately. Yeah. Also in it's just this- just so wild that it's still happening. It's still happening. Um, but in this Neolithic cave, which is vast, grand, I mean, like 15,000 years of goddess worship in this oh, cave. Okay, so I mean, just yummy. it vibrates yeah. at this like pre-verbal mm. primordial mm. place. And then you come out and there's like a flag. They just stuck a flag in it. And then there's like this tiny little Christian chapel where it's like, it's not like, oh, here's a spot I want to put my church. Great. Put your church wherever you want to put it. Yeah, But don't put your church on top of the thing, like it's a claiming. But that's a- what they all did. So mm-hmm. Notre Dame is built on top of a sacred feminine site. You know, the Tor, which was a Druidic um, monastery, was built on top of the priestess temples in Avalon. Sacre Coeur was built on top of a sacred feminine site. I mean, so that's what they did. Yeah. And so, I mean, I said this to some, I was with three male friends recently and I was speaking of this, I was like all riled up, like yeah. fresh out of Greece. Yeah. And this one man was like, well, I'd love to help you. I'd love to help reframe this for you. And I was like, please. And he said, you know, this has been happening forever. Like every new colonizer, uh-huh. you know, the, there's another person who takes over another land and we put mm-hmm. our temple on top of this temple on top of this temple. Yeah. But can you speak to how or why this is is different? Well, I actually think he's wrong. I don't actually think it's been happening forever. I think that what archaeologists are doing or are seeing is that there were sacred feminine temples that were in use for centuries. And it's really just in the past 3,000 years that this pattern of conquering is happening. Mm. So 
I don't think it happened. I don't think that's part of the generalized human story. Mm-hmm. I think that's a part of the oppressive patriarchal story. And so would you say that this is the answer to why? Why as why isn't everyone doing ceremony? Yes, this is why. Because we got it was scared. Erased. Yeah. And we got scared that we were going to get killed for being in ceremony. Mm-hmm. You know, that used to be that those whistleblowers, you know, could burn you at the stake. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of it was around shaming. And but I think it's so what I what's so important from from me to explain to people is that ceremony was just so normal mm. for so long. Yeah. And that it's really just recently that we feel shame around it or like it's weird, weird or that we don't belong or that it's just for like a certain set of like super, you know, weirdo spiritual women. And can you speak to like, I'm sure lots of people listening identify as Christian, were raised yeah, Christian. Yeah. I was raised Southern Baptist, mm-hmm. my mom, you know, like I, I want to, I want to be really clear on like the celebration of this and the naming of this religion that has no name, mm-hmm. this thing that has been going on for tens of thousands yeah. of years, that it's not actually in conflict with someone no. who finds God in Jesus or someone yeah. who feels a resonance through Christianity or Judaism or Islam. So I'd love to just speak to that because I, I don't want to get into othering mm-hmm. and, and I never want to <laughs> – dare I say, yuck someone's yum. Or it was, I really believe <laughs> yeah. that like God is a disco ball and we're all looking at the for same sure. thing. For sure. And the the fractal or the way that we are seeing that disco ball is different for all of us. Yeah. And, and so when we're speaking about like a historical power grab, really, mm-hmm. that that is not necessarily an affront to or meant to be received as an attack on someone's connection to the divine through Jesus Not or through their church. So can you speak to that a bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I think it's really important to understand that G- – well, there are a few things. If you go back and you look at the original writings that have made up the Bible, if you go back and you look at the Gospel of Mary Magdalene, if you read the Gnostic Gospels, you'll actually see that Jesus and Mary Magdalene's message was – not necessarily what was put in the Bible. Hmm. And so, and then, so that the Bible was compiled by Constantine, who was on a mission to take over the world. And he was the one who initiated the Inquisition, who decided that he was going to use his version of Christianity to control the masses. And that is not. Christianity or Jesus's fault, right? And unfortunately, over time, a lot of egomaniacs have used Christianity to gain power. But again, it's not Christianity or Jesus's fault. It's about the humans that were using it as tools. But I think because these humans have been using Christianity of tools, they have put their own opinions and their own ways of thinking into the religion that were not was not the word of Jesus and Mary Magdalene. And so I believe that we have to be really discerning about what we take as truth and really, you know, read the Gnostic Gospels, read the book of Mary Magdalene, you know, see for yourself what you think that they meant. And, you know, I grew up going to church. I loved my church. 
I loved it so much. It's the reason why I'm a priestess and the reason why I have my own church of sorts because having a place to go to have a connection with the divine where I couldn't bring, you know, we didn't have phones at the time, but you know, we can't bring in our phones. It's time out of our regular life. I believe in having carved out time to sit with your soul and the divine. Ceremony, ritual. Ceremony, right. And so that's why we do it. But and there was nothing wrong about my church. It was amazing, but they never talked about women. And that had an impact on me. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's important if you're going to church, you don't have to not go, but maybe if you're raising kids in a church and they're only learning about a male God and a male Messiah, that you may want to consider talking about Mother Mary and Mary Magdalene and Isis and Yamaya or whatever amazing goddesses into your home, into your family to balance what's happening in organized religion right now because I don't believe it's a complete sacred education for us. Mm, mm, that really rings is true. Yeah. And can you share with us because you know I'm very very enthusiastic and adamant about you starting Holy Family. Oh yeah, I know. I and love I <laughs> love the way that you raise your kids. I love the way because your husband is Jewish, yep. you were raised Christian, mm-hmm. you're a priestess of this I mean, does it have a name? This what you The lineage is the 13 Moon Mystery School, but okay. I just say that, you know, I'm a priestess of the Sacred Feminine. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. And you have three kids. Yep. And I see you on Instagram. I see the way that you are celebrating Easter mm-hmm. and Hanukkah and Christmas mm-hmm. and Passover and yeah. the solstice. And so can you just give us a little window into what's your thinking around this? How would someone start to bring in other ideologies into their family if that feels important to them? Yeah. So there's so many, you know, each holiday has its own magic. And what I do is I look at what was hap- what's happening on the earth and how did my pagan ancestors celebrate the winter solstice, so to speak. And then what were Jonathan's ancestors doing to celebrate Hanukkah? What are the themes of light? And then how do we bring the sacred feminine into those practices? So on Christmas, we spend a lot of time talking about Mother Mary. And we spend a lot of time talking about Asherah, which was the sacred feminine Jewish God before Yahweh came in. And we talk a lot about, you know, the great mother and the birth of the son on winter solstice. Mm. And so when we bring all those stories together, what our kids are learning is that they're there's the feminine and the masculine in every story. We each have a place, that the earth has a place in the story, and that children have a place and parents have a place. And I want I just want to make sure that there's something for each of my kids to see themselves in. Mm. And so we do a lot of this at home. You know, we call it homes instead of homeschooling my kids, we home Sunday school my kids. Mm-hmm. And It's a big responsibility, but this is what parents used to do. It's actually very new to outsource our sacred life to a church. 
Um, and I think it's really powerful. It's so powerful to be in groups of people. And I believe that as women, we are the sacred center of our family mm. and we need to take on that responsibility to bring back a more balanced, sacred, feminine education to our kids. Mm, so beautiful. Yeah. So beautiful. So what would you say to someone who wants to get started? They're like, I don't have any ceremony in my life. I don't have any ritual in my life. I like what would be a step one or a step one or two? Yeah. So I'd say step one is to create a morning ritual for yourself. So when I, I call it a sacred start. And when I started doing a sacred start, what I was doing was I was starting my day with communicating with my soul. And I believe that these sacred tools that we have, like sacred sage that I grow on my land By the and way, brought yes, you today. Let's just really, for those of you listening, know that I'm holding a fresh sage that Sarah grew on her mm -hmm. land and that she brought to me so that I could use it in ceremonial way. So thank you yeah, so much. I, I have a great story about that too, okay. but I don't want to forget. Um, that when we bring sacred sage, when we bring in candles, when we bring in tarot cards or any tools that a priestess or a shaman or a witch or any holy woman would have used in your own lineage, just having that on your floor in your bedroom helps you to remember. You know, just lighting a candle and putting on some music and opening a tarot deck for the first time, I can't explain it. It's to me the best just proof that the sacred is real is that we just remember, we have this feeling, we get teary, we feel a sense of peace that we haven't felt in a really long time because it's part of our truth. Mm. And it really can be that simple to just like get started every day. I have this really great guide called Sacred Start, if any of you want to get it. You just, if you DM me the word start on Instagram, you'll get all the things. Okay. And can we put a link in the show notes? Yeah, yeah, totally. Great. Okay. And then if you want to take it a step further, because I couldn't find a place to just like have a drop-in ceremony every new moon, I created it. And so I have this amazing community called Holy Woman. And what we do is, first of all, I have a whole class on what is the sacred feminine, the erasure of the sacred feminine, and how we put it back and how it impacts our psychology. So it takes what we talked about today and I just like really, you know, it's like a five-hour thing. And then we meet in ceremony every new moon mm. and you can, you just get to come and you can turn on your computer. We live stream it from my temple outside of Boston. Some people come in person and it's just a really special deep time. Mm. And it's like not expensive and you don't have to go to Costa Rica to do ayahuasca. And it's just like right here, wow. really easy. Great. Yeah. Great. So I heard you say that, you know, any sacred objects, anything that helps you to bridge that veil between the 3D and the 5D, between the human and the divine, yeah. even having the objects in your house will be a little totem, a little reminder. Oh, it's so helpful. And then if you want community, you're offering new moon rituals. Mm -hmm. You have a sacred start. Um, beautiful. Is there anything else that you wish that I had asked you? Is there anything else you're like, gosh, this feels so important for okay. people to I know? Okay, I have a story about the sage. Okay. Okay, so when I was battling with this, um, knowing that I was meant to be a priestess, be a sacred woman, lead women in sacred ceremony, I was really in this place at, at the same time that Jonathan and I were 
buying a house and moving from San Francisco to Boston. And I was looking at all of these really tiny houses at the end of a cul-de-sac because I was going to quit my job. And I was like, I'll just be a stay-at-home mom for five years. Jonathan can support us because I was so exhausted. This was like, I was you know, still in my conditioning. And I was like, but in five years, I want to buy a retreat center. And I just, I saw women gathering in circle outside in fields. I saw swimming in a river. I wanted to build a yurt to be my temple. And one night after Thanksgiving dinner, Jonathan and I were a little drunk and forgot to put our budget into Zillow. And this house came up on a lake and I'm scrolling through the pictures and it's literally my five-year vision as a photo carousel you know, just like wide open field, 23 acres, a lake. And then I get to this beautiful temple and it's four season with the kitchen and office and two bathrooms. And it's just probably the only round temple building in New England. And it's way out of our budget. And I had that same feeling that I had when I saw that ceremony from the night before and my entire body erupted in goosebumps and I started to cry. And I just knew that there was magic afoot. And so I went to bed and I woke up in the morning and I said, what do I do? What do I do, goddess? Tell me what to do. And she said, Google it. I'm like, okay. So I found the name of the house and I Googled it and I put in Harmony Farm and I'm reading the blog and it's all about finding the perfect owner for this house. And I get to the bottom and it is my high school therapist who was the one who helped me with my eating disorder in high school. I know. So I just called her and I said, I don't know if you remember me, but I think this is my house. Oh. And she's like, well, when can you come visit? So I got on an airplane and I went to visit her and it was just pure magic. And we ended up manifesting the money. That's like a very, you know, long, arduous story. But also I, in, in that moment, after I saw the house, I got on the plane and I convinced myself that it wasn't my house. But I had women in my life, magical women, that could tell that that was my soul's house. It wasn't practical. We couldn't afford it. We couldn't even take care of it. it you know, I couldn't, I was, I still wanted to have another baby. Who wants to have a 23 acre farm, three buildings, you know, all the things. So anyone who was on the earthly plane said, this is a bad idea. Don't do it. And any one of my friends that was connected to the divine said, this is fate. You have to do it. And so I prayed every day. And eventually we figured it out and we bought the house. Wow. And so this is actually sage that she planted oh. because she is a sacred feminine practitioner. And I feel very lucky that I get to steward the land that she built a house on and settled. And now we're building our house on it and it's been really magical. So it just goes to show when you follow, and this was at, after a period in my life where things were really falling apart. Like Jonathan, I almost got divorced a couple times. I'm super depressed. I weighed like 40 to 50 pounds more than I do right now. I mean, it was just hard. But because I was pointed towards what I am here to do, an incredible miracle happened. Mm. And I will just like always be so grateful to the divine for showing up for me in that moment because it was just such great confirmation that magic is real. And I've been to your land. That's where I came for yeah. my birthday this year. And I slept in that temple and we saunaed and we cold plunged in that beautiful yeah, lake on so your special. property. And I felt like 
that's why I was drawn there is that I, I needed to be in the frequency of you manifesting your dream of you manifesting that mm -hmm. temple and your home mm -hmm. and that connection to the earth. Yeah. It's really special. Um, and so like, bravo to you for listening. Bravo to you for doing the work and having the bravery that it takes mm -hmm. to being able to follow the breadcrumbs from the divine. Thank you. Because um, I know that it's not easy, especially in a world that's almost devoid no, of that. No, it's so hard because it feels like you're in a total fantasy land. Yeah. But the more you learn to lean on that unseen language, the more you realize it's real. I also want to highlight the fact that you were able to delineate when when taking advice and noticing who you were listening to, like who's anchored in the 3D and yeah. who's anchored in the unseen. Yeah. I've never... I've never really made that delineation when receiving counsel yeah. and I'm going to from now on. Well, and that's why I created Holy Woman was because I was lucky to have a circle of friends who saw what my soul needed, but most women don't. Mm -hmm. So now we have this global community of hundreds of people who are all committed to seeing each other's holiness. Mm. And so, I mean, you should see our community. It's just like off the hook every day. People coming in, this amazing thing happened. I'm super scared. I need some advice. What should I do? You know, it's like, yes, quit your job. Yes, ask for the raise. You know, it's like, yes, leave your asshole husband. It's like, yes, lean in and go to therapy. You know, just do the damn thing. And it's so beautiful. Oh, yes. Yeah. And so if people want to work with you, if people want to start to mm -hmm. do more ceremony, where can they find you? Where should they go? So if, again, if you DM me the word holy. But DM you where? On Instagram. At where? Oh, Sarah Jenks. Okay. At Sarah Jenks. At Sarah, if you go to at Sarah Jenks on Instagram uh -huh. and DM me the word holy, okay. then you will get all the information about holy woman. You can go to sarahjenks.com. Mm -hmm. And I'm also having this amazing retreat in September. Yeah. And I do that every year. And it's a great way to come to the land and be in ceremony in person if, you know, you don't live down the street. Okay. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Oh, Sarah, you're such a dream. I'm so grateful Aww. to know you. Thanks, Thank Emily. you for being a model of what is mm. possible. Thank you for holding down the holy woman Aww. fort. Thank you. And helping us to reclaim the magic mm. that's always been inside of us. Mm. It's so important. You're so welcome. So Thank you for having me. Yes. All right, sweet friends, I hope that you are as intrigued and as inspired to reconnect to the divine and to bring in more influences of the divine feminine into your home, into your own iconography, into your own mythology, so that we can start to balance the imbalance that's been here for too long. Um, do check out Sarah. She's amazing. I love following her on all the places. And she's very kindly agreed to give us a mini masterclass. So if you would like to learn even more on how you can incorporate ceremony, how you can re really start to reunite with the divine feminine, then I invite you to join us at zivameditation.com slash why this. And if you love this conversation, which I know you did, you can screenshot this, post it on Instagram. You can tag us at Sarah Jenks and at Ziva Meditation. And as always, if you will rate and review the show, it really goes a long way in getting this media as medicine into the ears and hearts of people who need it most. I love you. And I will see you next week on why isn't everyone doing If you've been listening to this podcast for any amount of time, you've likely heard myself and so many of my brilliant guests rave about how meditation has changed our lives. I love meditating. Every time I meditate, I feel like I'm doing it so that I can be 
in alignment with my my highest self. It made the way that I operate in life just a lot more like flowy and graceful. It's true. This stuff really is that good. I mean, how many more world-class high performers have to say that meditation is their secret sauce before you believe that this might work for you? Now, if you're curious about the neuroscience of how this tool can help eradicate stress, then I'm going to invite you to join me for a free masterclass. Now, all you have to do is go to zivameditation.com slash learn, and you're going to get instant access to a masterclass that's going to help you to reduce your stress, overcome anxiety, and improve your sleep in just a few minutes a day. So go to zivameditation.com slash learn and sign up today. That is Z-I-V-A meditation.com slash learn. And I want you to know that by investing in yourself and improving your quality of life, you're also going to help support this podcast. So again, you can go to zivameditation.com slash learn.